In the 1970s and 80s, a monster hunted the Connecticut River Valley. Seven bodies found, one survivor, and no suspects. I'm Jane Borowski, host of Invisible Tears. I was seven months pregnant and stabbed 27 times, and I survived. My story didn't end that frightful night. This attack on me physically and mentally lingered for years. I'm Amanda Bedard, and I'm Jane's life coach and co-host of Invisible Tears. Jane is ready to share her story, and not just about her attack, but her healing process afterwards. As a platform for truth and healing, we are on a mission to help others that suffer from PTSD and help bring awareness to mental health issues. To hear my story and others, you can find Invisible Tears wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. been a wild year in more ways than one my friends and today we're compiling the best stories that we've covered this year of our lord 2023 if you tune in regularly don't fret we have one that has not been seen on this channel and if you're new here then you're in for a wild ride of some weird scary and strange stories thank you all so much for watching this channel it's great to have so many coming back to see what we have to offer each and every week I'm wishing you all a safe and healthy 2024. I appreciate you all. Now, here are the strange and scary mysteries of the year for 2023. Number five, the disturbing case of Kelsey Barrett. On the chilly morning of November 22nd of 2018 in the city of Woodland Park, Colorado, 29-year-old Kelsey Barrett, a young mother, was seen for the last time. As the days of searching for her dragged on and Kelsey remained missing, a trail of evidence began to surface, revealing a twisted tale of love, deceit, and possibly murder. The primary suspect was Patrick Frazy, Barrett's fiance, who, within just a few weeks of her disappearance, was arrested and charged with her murder. In a shocking turn of events, testimonies during a preliminary hearing in Cripple Creek exposed the extent of Frazee's alleged involvement. It was said that on that fateful Thanksgiving day, Frazee wrapped a sweater around Barrett's head and brutally struck her with a baseball bat, all while their one-year-old child was in the other room playing. Later, he would go on to burn her body in a water trough on his property in an attempt to cover his tracks. A significant testimony came from Idaho nurse Crystal Kenny, who claimed to be in an intimate relationship with Frazee in early 2018. Kenny's narrative painted a dark picture. The weapon that Patrick used, the killing, and the attempts to dispose of the body. Ultimately, she pleaded guilty to tampering with evidence. What adds an eerie dimension to this case is Frazee's attempt to involve Kenny in the disposal of Barrett's body revealing a chilling indifference to his actions. Frazee allegedly stored the body in a black tote bag and then shoved it into a large haystack. After that, he attended a Thanksgiving dinner like everything was cool and later disposed of the remains by burying them and then leaving them in a river or trash dump. 
Kenny's account revealed that this wasn't Frazee's first attempt either at committing the crime of murder. Three prior incidents were orchestrated but never executed, and poisoning Barrett's coffee being the first. The crime scene, as described by Kenny, was gruesome. She painted a vivid picture of her arriving at Barrett's residence to find the place covered in blood. Despite the horrific scene, Kenny spent hours cleaning, erasing, or at least trying to, any trace of the brutal act that had taken place there. Frazee's alleged motive, as suggested by the Barrett family, was even more unsettling. A custody battle. They believe Frazee's intention was to gain full custody of their daughter, which Kelsey had refused. The details and events following Barrett's disappearance were also strange, which allowed authorities to hone in on Patrick. Her cell phone, for example, oddly was pinged near Gooding, Idaho, about 800 miles away from where she lived. She didn't know anyone up in that area, so why would she be there? Furthermore, a call from Barrett's concerned mother to Frazee yielded a web of lies. He had spun a tale of their breakup on Thanksgiving and agreed joint custody of their child, a narrative that the mom knew wasn't likely as her daughter did not trust the father of her child. As the investigation proceeded, Frazee faced an increasing list of charges, including two counts of first-degree murder based on different theories. Although Kelsey's body was never found, based on the testimony and other evidence, Frazee was found guilty of the crime of murder and sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Number 4. Haunted Toys R Us A toy store is maybe the last thing you'd think of as being haunted, but that's because you haven't been to the Toys R Us in Sunnyvale, California. The store opened in 1970 and since then, workers, visitors, and psychics claim its aisles are haunted by a ghost who died on the property during the 1800s. Records show that in 1881 the land was owned by a prominent man named Martin Murphy. A judge and entrepreneur, Murphy was an influential figure who threw large parties with thousands of people in attendance. His property not only included his farmhouse, but also a wheat field and a large orchard. On the farm, a young Scandinavian man named Johnny Johnson tended the fields. He was an immigrant studying ministry, but worked as a farmhand in his off time, and it was here when he fell in love with Murphy's daughter Elizabeth. But he never felt confident enough to let her know because of their class differences. Before he got the chance to actually say anything, Elizabeth married another man. Heartbroken by this, Johnny was utterly depressed. He walked around with his head down, and in 1884, he was chopping wood one day when his axe slipped and hit his upper leg. The wound was deep, and he severed an artery, and he would go on to die right there on the spot. Eventually, the plantation was sold to various owners until it became the Sunnyvale Toys R Us. And those who work at the store believe Johnny's ghost haunts the aisles filled with games and dolls. They say he's still trying to get Elizabeth's attention by making his presence known when people are around. Employees tell of finding toys littering the aisles for no reason. And trucks and stuffed animals fall from shelves without anyone around. 
Sometimes the toys are stacked and restacked in a unique pattern. Workers have reported hearing their names whispered behind them and even over the intercom. At least one of them heard someone knocking from the other side of a storage door, asking him to let him out. The worker opened the door thinking he accidentally locked somebody in, but once he did, no one was there. This happened three times, and by then, the employee just quit and never came back. Johnny is said to terrify the female workers, too, by following them to the bathroom. Once in there, he would turn on the faucets. Many women have been alone when the water just starts to run. Girls with long hair have felt it being stroked or touched. Some are so terrified they refuse to go to the bathroom by themselves. Interestingly, at least one image is said to have captured the figure of Johnny while he was hanging out in the aisles of the store. In this photo, you can see a white blob in the lower right-hand portion. Many believe this was the ghost, but there could also be another one. Those who were here at the event claim that the man standing in the left in the background wasn't actually even there. They think this is the ghost of Johnny. Possibly it was somebody else from the Murphy clan and whatever or whoever it was. The image and the haunting of the Toys R Us in Sunnyvale is something freaky that no one can explain. Number 3. John Shipley It was in July 2022 when John Shipley of Edmonds, Washington called 911, frantically confessing to authorities the murder of his 66-year-old wife, Susan. During the call, the 73-year-old also claimed that he was possessed by demons, that he was subhuman, that he had been under their influence for most of his life, and it now just came to a head. When authorities arrived at their home, they were met with a chaotic scene in the living room. Susan laying lifeless, and two knives on the floor, and her husband sitting right there beside her. But it wasn't immediately clear if she had actually been stabbed to death, Upon a closer look, the investigators determined the cause of death is asphyxiation due to strangulation, and John explained that it was the satanic demons that instructed him to commit the crime. Mr. Shipley was immediately brought to the hospital for a mental evaluation, where the findings revealed some disturbing details. In a statement, John said his life had been plagued by demonic influence, It was in April of that same year that he became fully aware of the extent of his possession. When asked about his decision to call police, he said that he'd wanted the authorities to destroy him because what he had done was utterly brutal. So from a human standpoint, he knew what he had done was wrong, but the demons took control and he just had to do it. And this wasn't the first time that the law had a run-in with the suspect. Just months earlier, officers found the elderly man standing naked in the street. He was, as described, in a catatonic state and unresponsive during that incident. Medical records, meanwhile, revealed that Shipley had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Now detained, the septuagenarian faces a second-degree murder charge for the killing of his spouse. So, it appears it wasn't demons at all, but a mentally unwell man who will now spend the rest of his life behind bars. 
Number two, Tina's tires. On June 24th of 1994, Tina Marcotti found herself stranded on the road with a flat tire. She'd been a late shift worker for Black Hills Molding, a wood processing plant in Rapid City, South Dakota. With nowhere to go, she called her friend Vicky and asked to be picked up. However, while on the phone, Tina noticed a car driving up and told her friend she didn't need to come anymore because a co-worker, Tom Kiuter, would be giving her a ride. She thanked Vicky, hung up the phone, and that was the last time anyone would hear from her. The next day, Patrick, Tina's boyfriend, and Tom both showed up at Vicky's place. Vicky mentioned in the phone call and that Tina had mentioned a Tom from work. Although Tom initially denied it, he eventually said that he was the only Tom at the workplace, but he never admitted to giving Tina a lift. Patrick then asked if he and Tina were having an affair of some sort, which he passively denied. When police found Tina's car and checked the tires, they noticed it wasn't a regular flat tire, but instead it had been deliberately slashed, indicating foul play and the possibility of a murder. Tom voluntarily showed up for questioning, but again denied he ever saw Tina that night. He said that he was at a softball game all evening, took a friend home, and fixed his car under a streetlight for several hours before going home at around 3.30 a.m. Tom's wife Nancy confirmed he did come home at that hour, but noticed he immediately washed his softball uniform and shoelaces. After three days, police paid Tom a visit at work, saying they found traces of blood inside his vehicle and would be testing it against Tina's blood. The next day at 9 a.m. during the shift change, incoming workers found Tom's head crushed by the rear wheel of his own forklift. Police believe he did it on purpose as an act of desperation after realizing that he would be linked to Tina's disappearance. They believe that he intentionally overloaded his vehicle with lumber and took it up an incline before jumping out into its path. This would make it look like an accident and wouldn't hamper any insurance claims made by his family. However, his wife actually believes that he was murdered. In 1996, approximately 16 months after she went missing, Tina's body was found underneath a woodpile in the lumberyard where Tom used to work at the time. She was discovered to have died from blunt force trauma and that she may have been dumped there after being killed. Police believe it was Tom that murdered her and now consider the case closed. Number 1. The Enigma of Patricia Meehan On an April evening back in 1989, something very odd happened on a remote country road in Circle, Montana. As dusk settled, Peggy Bueller found herself narrowly avoiding a head-on collision with a car meandering on the wrong side of the road. Moments later, another motorist, Carol Heights, wasn't so fortunate. Struck by the same erratic driver, Carol's car careened into a ditch. Stumbling out of her vehicle, dazed but miraculously unscathed, Carol's eyes met those of a mysterious woman who had crashed into her. The eerie stillness of the encounter was morbid, as Carol recounted. She just stared. She never said anything. She just stared at me. I will never forget her. 
Peggy, the driver who narrowly avoided the first collision, approached the scene of the accident and her eyes too locked onto the same silent woman. As I looked out across the accident, I noticed someone on the other side of the fence, standing there like a spectator, not like it had happened to her. Without uttering a word, this lady retreated into the enveloping darkness. She just walked away, disappearing as suddenly as she had appeared. The mystery deepened when the police traced the vehicle to its owner, 38-year-old Patricia Meehan. An extensive search ensued, encompassing both land and air over the next five days, but Patricia seemed to have evaporated into thin air. But eyewitness accounts began pouring in, and over a hundred reported sightings of Patricia materialized, stretching from Montana all the way to Seattle. Strangely, Patricia never reached out to her family or friends, fueling speculation that she might be grappling with amnesia. But was it the accident that caused it? Patricia's loved ones shared that in the days leading up to the accident, she seemed unusually introspective and distant. And Dolly, Patricia's mother, reflected on her daughter's state of mind, saying, She was, I guess, taking in her own life, what she had accomplished. I think she missed having children because I think she realized she really loved them. In Patricia's car was a roll of undeveloped film. As the police searched for any clues, the images revealed a chilling self-portrait in there. Psychologist Don LaPlante explained that it appeared Patricia was experiencing a very difficult time in her life and was involved in a rather dramatic accident, which may have involved a head injury. The combination of these factors then may have caused amnesia. Patricia's journey seemed to wind through truck stops and diners, and she was spotted multiple times, always eluding authorities by mere moments. In one poignant encounter in Bozeman, she exhibited signs of extreme disorientation according to a waitress, as she acted scared and unable to figure out where she was or how she got there. And despite the years that have elapsed, the mystery of Patricia remains unsolved. Her family clings to the hope that she's safe and might someday return. In the words of her heartbroken father, more than anything else in the world, I want her back with us. I just pray day in and day out that she's with some good people. So there were the strange and scary mysteries of the year for 2023. Thank you for tuning in and hope you guys all enjoyed this little recap. Special thanks to all our Patreon supporters over this year. You guys are the best. And from the whole team at Scary Mysteries, we want to say thanks, and we appreciate you. Remember, if you enjoyed this, go check it out on our Scary Mysteries YouTube channel. And if you want more pods from us, go to our Everytown podcast, because every town has a dark side. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll see you guys soon.